or in verses 45 through 54 in Luke chapter 11. Let me uh, pray for us as you guys turn to that. Lord, uh, we thank you for all the blessings that you've um, given us. We also thank you, God, for the things that we don't deem as blessings uh, because we know that you're sovereign and that you have the best in mind for us. So we, we pray, Lord, that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit's leading, that we would be obedient to what you have for us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we ended a couple of weeks ago with uh, the Pharisees receiving a couple woe-woes. And so now it's the lawyers' turns. Uh, so the lawyers were, were experts in the law. And so um, one of them, he, he felt insulted, and he responds with this in, in verse 45. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Now you get a sense that this lawyer was, was wanting to be exonerated from the rebuke uh, Jesus just gave the, the Pharisees. And it seems that Jesus, Jesus was given this out, right, with, with, with this lawyer. He was like, oh, you can't be us, right? It's just them, right? But, but Jesus doesn't take that route. He says, um, no, it's you too. And so, so Jesus wasn't looking for this out, and, and, and he used what this lawyer said to enter into rebuking them as well. This is just not a very good political move. Now, some of the lawyers were also Pharisees. They, they held kind of both titles. And uh, that even though these were two distinct groups, but, but what they had in common was this love for the law. They love the law. Another thing they had in common was they loved to add to the law. They like, they like adding stuff to the law. And it wasn't out of anything bad, right? Because they, they really wanted people to follow the law to the fullest. And their intent and their motivation was good. Just like us, right? Our, our original intent, our original motivations for adding to things is good. Adding amendments, adding things like that, making changes. Those intents are good. But what ended up happening was that they, they were suffocating people with all these additions, with all these additional rules and regulations. They were suffocating them. And that's kind of like what some Christians do now. Right, right. There's the Bible. And here are some additional rules. And when Christians do this, it's not our intent or motivation that is bad. Because I think it's good. Most of the time, we're doing this because we think that it's going to help people more. Help people follow God more deeply or follow God more closely or serve God more fully or something like that. But once, what ends up happening a lot of the time is that people are suffocated by these extra rules. And it's, and it's not that people are bad who don't want to follow those extra rules. They just want to breathe. So let's be careful about our extra rules. Right? And, and some of them, they're good. But let's not lump those extra rules into biblical proportions. Right? So you know what's cool about Jesus? Jesus is an is a equal opportunity offender. Like he, so after he gives the, the Pharisees these three woes, he gives the, the lawyers these next three woes, and he didn't want to give them any less or any more because he's not partial in issue and rebuke. So verse 46 and he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You put all these burdens on people, and you don't help them at all. And there was already a law, and they came up with more. 
And not only did they come up with more laws in which they expected others to follow, they themselves couldn't follow all of them. So what did they do? They, they looked for loopholes. They looked for exceptions, which not everyone knew about. Right? And so how does this look to people when someone bypasses the law through loopholes? When you hear about that on the news or something like that, and, and you're just getting... When, when someone gets a mistrial because of a loophole and justice is not served, you know, that's just not good. Right? That, that just does, does not make you feel right. And so the people were burdened by what the lawyers were adding to the original law, and they couldn't care less about how the people were suffocating under their additional additions. And all the while, the lawyers themselves couldn't live under their own laws without these loopholes or changing the rules along the way. It's saying like, oh yeah, that doesn't work very well. I need to change that up a little bit. Now, God's original law was not the problem. Jesus wasn't saying that, you know, God's law, that, that's burdensome. It was that the lawyers were adding to the law. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus came to lead us into a realization that our hearts were created to embrace the spirit behind the law and the prophets. That in following the law and the prophets, not the extra biblical stuff, that we would delight in doing his will. But this extra stuff, it was just that. It's it's extra. And instead of just following what was before them, they came up with a bunch of what ifs. What if this? What if that? And they wanted to address all these what ifs. So in regards to something, say, like the Sabbath, we read in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So that was given to us to follow the Sabbath. But what these guys would do with this is come up with a bunch of what-if scenarios. So they came up with the Mishnah, right? the, the Judaic law book. And so within the Judaic law book, there are a bunch of uh, categories. One of them is the Sabbath. And so within the Sabbath, there are these subcategories. And so within there, there's 39 of these subcategories within Sabbath. I'm just going to read them quickly to you because I think it's really quick. They're just one word things. One who sows, plows, reaps, binds, sheaves, threshes, winnows, selects, fit from an unfit produce or crops, grinds, sifts, kneads, bakes, one who shears wool, Washes it, beats it, dyes it, spins, weaves, makes two loops, weaves two threads, separates two thread ties, unties, sews two threads, tears in order to sew two stitches. One who traps a deer, slaughters it, flays it, salts it, cures it, hides it, scrapes it, and cuts it up. Not hiding, like, hide it, like, you know what I mean. One who builds up, tears down, one who puts out a fire, kindles a fire, one who hits with a hammer, one who transports an object from one domain to another. That's all under Sabbath. And then under each of these subcategories are these scenarios. So you get a sense of how 
much this stuff kind of went into these things, right? And then within each of these uh, categories of what-if scenarios, it goes deeper, and then it goes deeper, and there's just layers upon layers of stuff. So instead of living by the principle of the law and applying them within the framework of the rest of Scripture, right? They became extremely legalistic. Now, why is that? Why do people become really legalistic? I think it's because there are trust issues. Right? That we, we have trust issues. That See, those who were experts in the law, those who were religious leaders, didn't trust the followers of God to apply the principles of the law, so they came up with more stuff. So they, they weren't trusting people. And so they came up with more rules, more regulations to ensure that the law was followed, but in so doing, they were, they were stifling, they, they were suffocating, they were just oppressing people. And churches do this. We've done this. Read our bylaws sometimes. Now, if you ever have trouble sleeping, just pull those up. And uh, it, it's really helpful. And, and you're, you're just going to go right to sleep. But uh, now, a lot of people have invested a lot of time into our bylaws, so uh, I'm, not, I'm not minimizing our efforts. I, I was part of that too. But read them. And I think by reading them, you're going to be able to read some extra biblical stuff. And, it, and it's a natural byproduct of, of your history. Right? We have experienced a certain history. And so we, in response to that history, we write up some things to kind of protect ourselves or, or try to make things better in the future so we don't run into the same kind of hurdles that we do in the future. Every church has a history. Every new church plant has, this, uh, has a history. And you're thinking, oh, it's a new church plant. How does it have a history? Because the person or the team that's planting that church plant has a history. And they've gone through something that they don't want to go through again. So that's going to be inside there somehow to protect them with something. And so with that history comes things that are more sensitive to others than they are to somebody else. So naturally, whoever writes those bylaws includes their list of cans and and cannot, and and some of those things are just based off of their experiences and their histories. Now, again, some of the stuff that we've written in our bylaws may fall into this category. I think it does. But are we guilty of placing these extrical biblical burdens without lifting a finger to help? So are, are we guilty of the same thing the scribes were guilty of back then with our own set of rules and with our own set of regulations? And maybe we are. And I know that there are many Christians who are. Right? In, in your homes, how you grew up, or, or in your different communities and all this stuff, there's, there's these extra things right? that sometimes you feel like, oh man, that's just really burdensome, and, and man, these guys don't really help out with that, and I just feel like it's just all this pressure. Because I hear a lot of the stories of people who aren't following Jesus anymore, and they used to. A lot of them actually in our community. I'm hearing this a lot more. Like when, when we're inviting them into our community spaces and we're sharing like the garden or the chicken coop or our community center and all this stuff, that there are a lot of people that have a church history or a Christian in, in particular type of history. And the more that I hear it's this, this legalism or this kind of oppressive way or these rules and regulations and this non-acceptance and all this kind of stuff that is pushing them out, that they don't want to be a part of that, that, this, that these burdens are, are placed on them and no one is helping them with that burden. 
And so with our burdens, are, are we making exceptions for ourselves while expecting everyone else to abide by them in the church? Right? So, so that's the kind of thing that the scribes were kind of doing. You know, we, we have all these things, we're going to put them on you and we're going to expect them. And like, oh, yeah, that, that's kind of hard for me to not do that. So let me think of a way to get around this stuff. Because they knew the law really well. And they knew the Mishnah really well. And they knew how oppressive many of these rules were. And they were encount- when they were encountered with a, a suffocating type of rule, they'd kind of change it a little bit and say, like, hey, Rabbi, what do you think? Because, you know, I can't really operate like this. And, and how do we get, this, get out of this bind here? But how does that look to others? Right? When, you, when you make this rule and then you just see, like, someone on staff just kind of break it. And you're like, hey, but this was so much like, told to us that this is a do not or a do or whatever. And then this person is just doing whatever they want to do. And they're making excuses for themselves. So, for example, under one who transports an object from one domain to another, this was written in response as an extra thing. Right? So one who carries out anything in the right or in the left hand or in his bosom or on his shoulder is culpable. But... One who carries out a thing on the back of his hand, or with his foot, with his mouth, with his elbow, with his ear, with his hair, with his waist bag, the opening of which is at the bottom, or between his belt and his shirt, with the edge of his shirt, or with his shoe or sandal, is not culpable, because he carries it in an unusual manner. (laughs) So this is under Sabbath rules, right? So you're telling me this... Whoa. Whoa. Is easier than this. And so, so these guys are like, oh, how do we get around this work stuff? Man, just um, hold it with your teeth and you're cool, right? <laughs> I, like, that's, that's, that's messed up. Like, how, how do you even do that? Right? So you can, you can hold it all these other different ways, like whatever. And, and, and you're, but if you hold it like this, sinner, it's a Sabbath. What are you doing? You can't hold it like this either. You got to like, edge your shirt. Come on. This is it. Right? So this is, it's just, it's kind of crazy. And in God's law, we're given this pretty straightforward principle of Sabbath, but the scribes prescribe even these more stringent rules, and now they have to look for ways to, to get around their own rules. And they, so they create these burdens, and, and they don't help people with them, and eventually legalistic people find themselves stuck in their own web of legalism. Because that's not easy to do, right? You find yourself caught, and you're like, I... I'm late and I really need to run, but I can't. What do I do? Walk on my hands. Like, you know, like, I don't know. What do you do? So they they can't live up to their own standards even. So, and depending on where you are in the world, there are different sets of standards which are acceptable in Christian circles. If you go in different parts of Africa, most of it from the little that I know, but most of Africa really frowns upon alcohol. Right? They, if you, even if you're a Christian, the, the once in a while beer or the once in a while wine, or that's, that's, not, that's not a good testimony. In Kenya, where we've been multiple times, you cannot do that. It ruins your testimony. Even just casually. You cannot do that. But they're all into dancing and musical beats and, and moving and stuff like that. But in Europe, watch out. Europe, there are Christian circles that believe that beat and that dancing, those are things of the devil. Right? But alcohol? Hey! 
Come on over. We got some good brew. Right? It's, it's cool. But personally, I think that the Europeans, it's because they can't dance, so they blame it on the devil. But anyway. <laughs> but, but, but you see how, you see how legalism is so suffocating? just so suffocating, right? How, how can we possibly come up with a rule for every single scenario? How is that possible? But they tr- they're trying. They have a Sabbath category, and they have 39 categories before that, and they have all these what-ifs before, underneath that, and they, they, they're trying. But that's why much of the Bible is clearly written in regards to statements of the law that are to be guiding principles of how we apply them through the Holy Spirit in light of the entire Bible. We look at it entirely. And so that's part of the reason why we teach the Bible completely. So that you get that. We're planning on doing Genesis through Revelation. I mean, we're going to kind of go jumping around like this. But we're planning on teaching the whole Bible here. So that you have the whole counsel of God. Now, there are things that the Bible doesn't address. (gasps) Really? Yes. There's no internet in the Bible. So, So we can't get bogged down with, with, with creating a rule for every single new invention, like the internet, or all this kind of stuff, right? or, or how, or, or we can, we, what we are to do is simply apply the principles of the law in light of the totality of Scripture, and then be led by the Holy Spirit in those things, and, and plug, plug, plug in those things. Right, so verses 47 through 48, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Now these lawyers, they, they built tombs for the prophets who died. But they want to kill the ones who are alive among them. And that's just an ironic thing. Right? So, so their, fathers, they, their fathers killed and they persecuted the prophets of their day, just as the lawyers were wanting to kill and persecute Jesus, who was not only a prophet, but God. And rather than these guys taking a stand against the injustices that their fathers committed against those prophets, they're committing the same injustices. Verse 49, Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. Now that word therefore, you have to wonder why that, what that word is there for, right? So therefore, because, in response to, These lawyers are approving of what their fathers did in murdering the prophets, and they're building these tombs for for those prophets whom their fathers killed. Therefore, the wisdom of God will provide to them prophets and apostles. Now, these lawyers whom Jesus addressed were were following in the footsteps of their hate-filled, murderous fathers who killed and persecuted the messengers of God in their time. And instead of of hearing and following what the messengers of God had for them right in front of them, like Jesus, like John the Baptist, like Stephen, like whoever else, the apostles, they killed and persecuted them. The prophets and the apostles were people who sided with God, who are on God's side, and they are killing them. And they are claiming that we're on that side too, but we're going to kill you. Verses 50 through 51. So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. This pattern of killing is perpetuating to the present. We do this. 
Right? We, how many times does a church shoot its own? We do this. It says, from the blood of Abel, which is in reference to Genesis chapter 4, the first book of the Bible, when, when Cain killed his brother Abel. And so that's the very first book of the Hebrew Scriptures. And Jesus is pointing out from the very beginning. And then he references the last book of the Hebrew Scriptures in Second Chronicles chapter 24. It's mentioned, the, the blood of Zechariah is mentioned. Now some of you are thinking, because you are... Bible nerds or something. That's not the last Old Testament book. Malachi is. But if we look at this uh, as kind of our Christian Bible or Old Testament scriptures, um, yes, the book of Malachi is the last book of the Bible. But if we're looking at Hebrew scriptures in a chronological order, Second Chronicles is the last book. So Jesus is saying Genesis, that very first book, Second Chronicles, the very last book, that's your story, man. This is your history. This is what you guys do. From the very first book to the last book, the story is clear that you guys are murderers and you're clueless about what God really has to say to you. Because you kill all the messengers of God. The record is clear. The, The evidence is clear that you guys have no clue of what God is doing. And so he's showing them this. And in the New Testament, it's it's nothing new, even though it wasn't written yet. But later on, if we look into it now, it's nothing new. What did they do to John the Baptist? What did they do to Jesus? What did they do to the apostles and Stephen? What did they do to the, all these followers of Jesus? And for that, a charge will be against this, that generation. That generation. And Jesus mentioned that twice, right? Once in verse 50 and once in verse 51. Yes, the generations prior to the ones in Jesus' time suffered for not hearing the messengers of God and and following what the prophet said. And all you have to do is look at the Judaic history to see how they suffered, right? Exile and tragedy and all these type of things that, that, that they've suffered. And they suffered a lot for the murder and persecution of God's messengers. But that generation that was present in the time of Jesus, they were charged with more. Why? They rejected the Son of God. They rejected Jesus. They murdered Him. They hung Him on a cross. And they persecuted those who followed after Him. So, so they willfully killed God with all the knowledge that they had from generations past of God's messengers. From Genesis all the way to Second Chronicles. They had all those prophets and yet they still did this. What did they do? Matthew chapter 27, verses 20 through 26. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. They said that. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. His blood be on us and on our children. Meaning, we'll take responsibility for killing him. 
Pilate, you're clear. You know, we, we got this. We hate him. He's not our Messiah. Of us, nor of our children, let us kill him. We'll, we'll get rid of him. The Jews exclaimed, His blood be on us and on our children. Now what happened after Jesus' death? Particularly in starting in 66 AD between the Jews and the Romans. That's the first Jewish-Roman war. That is when, according to the historian Josephus, that 1.1 million Jews were killed. Where 97,000 of them were enslaved. Where the temple was destroyed. And we're going to see the remnants of the temple. Some of those uh, pieces of the temple that they burned down and they broke down because gold was melting through the thing and they took down every stone from that temple because the Romans wanted all the gold from that thing. It's a prophecy that they would let down every stone and get through And there's a pile of stones there that we can see. That we're going to be going to um, one of the last stands that the Jews made against the Roman Empire in this first war in Masada. We'll be there. And we're going to see kind of this place where over 970 Jews took their own lives because they didn't want to be in captivity or killed by the Romans. We're going to see all of this in June. From this statement, His blood be on us and on our children. That generation was charged. They asked for it. right? It wasn't that God was like, well, all right, you're going to get it. They asked for they They brought that upon themselves. And we can see that the generations that have followed the Jews, it hasn't been any easier. Right? It, why is that? Because responsibility does not lessen with time. Actually, the more we know, the more we are responsible for. Right? So... His blood be on us and on our children. Now, please don't take this as an anti-Semitic message or like, oh, he doesn't like Jews or anything like that. It's not an anti-Jew thing that, I, that I'm doing here. We are going to Israel in June, right? And, and the tour company that we use is owned by a rabbi and his family. Right? If we were anti-Jew, you'd think I would want to give business to a rabbi and his family. And our tour guide is a really close friend of mine. We've been friends for over a decade. He's adopted my kids as his adopted grandchildren. So let's, please don't even go there. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. The fact is that the Jews have suffered much throughout the history of their existence. Right? And, and arguably the most. And the Bible seems to point to their rejection of the prophets and the apostles and Jesus having to do a lot with His blood be on us and on our children. And I don't think that gives anyone an excuse to mistreat them or anyone else in the world or to side with them saying like, oh, they're God's people and like forget about the Palestinians, forget about those. Do you realize that a lot of those Palestinians are Christians? They're Christians, a lot of them. And so you're saying, oh, we want to side with the Jews or the God's people, but we don't want to side with the Jesus followers. That makes no sense. People. They're people. Right? So it's, it's not about a side or not a side here. I do think it plays into how history has played out. That if you look at it in terms of history, I, I, do think that, I do think that responsibility grows the more that we know. And, and the Jews were given a, given a lot through the prophets. 
of God. They were given a lot. Now, I'm going to share with you a scary proverb. And then I'm going to share with you a scary example. And for those of you who are visiting, I promise you it's not always like this. It's not always like this. But this is the Bible, and this part of the Bible is scary. This, this is a rebuke. This is Jesus issuing woes to scribes. So if anywhere in the Bible this is going to be a difficult rebuke or a difficult understanding or, or you feeling like, oh man, is that me? It's going to be here. And you're here for a reason. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1. This one scares me. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. What? I mean, is that frightening to you or what? He who is often reproved, he who is often rebuked, he's often corrected, yet stiffens his neck, you know, doesn't listen, stubborn, just whatever, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. OMG. What is that? Right, so don't mess with God's rebuke. Don't get all stubborn when someone corrects you with the Word of God. Watch out that we don't compromise on the Word of God and what it teaches us. Now, let me share with you a scary story. Daniel chapter 5, verses 18 through 22. O King, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. So the king that they're talking about is Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would he killed, and whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he raised up, and whom he would he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven, was driven among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart though you knew all this. That's scary to me. Right? God held Belshazzar accountable because his father was Nebuchadnezzar. Right? You are responsible when you know more. You saw this all happen to your dad. You are responsible for that. We are responsible for what we know. You and I don't start at birth. Right? We don't accumulate things just at birth. We are given a lot. We are given a history. We are given a heritage. I grew up in a Christian home. And I've been a Christian my whole life. I am accountable for what I've learned from my father and what he learned from his grandmother and what I've personally learned because it's all inside of me. I'm accountable to all that stuff. There are people out there with a rich Christian heritage that aren't following the Lord anymore. I've met a lot of them. 
But they have a rich Christian heritage. They have people in their family who are ministers. They have people in their families who have been missionaries. All this stuff. Generations of Christians before them, but they have chosen to walk away from God. Lord, have mercy on them. Because you are held accountable. And I'm not trying to scare you into thinking that, oh, I need to start walking closely with Jesus now because all this stuff, and it's scary. Even though it is scary. But I'm not trying to scare you. Because something I understand is that there are hurtful things that have happened to you. That have happened to those people. There are traumatic, painful things that have happened that have driven them away from following Jesus. But you're still responsible. Even though it's driven you away, you are still responsible. And for he who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. My goal is not to scare you into faith. What I want to do is I want to offer you, me, our staff, our interns, our ministry leaders, our church, to you, to be a listening ear to you. To be a faith community that will love you no matter what type of junk you bring in here. And if they don't, please talk to me. So that we can sort it out with our own staff people or whatever. And if it's an issue with me, like, oh yeah, you're the one that's judgmental and condemning. Please tell me and tell our elders and keep me accountable to that. But we want to be a faith community that, that will accept you. And that desires to bring healing for you. Because it... Our desire is to, to, to see the healing happening in your life because you are culpable for what you know. And some of you know a lot because you have a rich Christian heritage. And you can't just wash it away like Pilate did. It's on you. That's on you. Verse 52, Woe to you lawyers! For you have taken away the knowledge of God. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So instead of opening up a relationship with God with with the key of knowledge, the lawyers took that key and they they kept others from entering that relationship with God. They just kind of locked them all inside. They locked them in. Don't come out, guys. It's scary out here. There's this guy named Jesus. And so the lawyers knew what the the Scriptures and the prophets said. I mean, they studied all this stuff, right? And rather than pointing to people to Jesus, right, and entering a relationship with Jesus themselves, they sought to become this obstacle for others to to know Jesus, like holding them back and hindrances, hindrances for them. And they, see, they had this critical role in helping people know God, but they didn't like that the key that opened the gates of heaven was Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. Instead of opening the gates of the kingdom of God, they wanted to destroy that key. They wanted to break that key, to kill that key, bury it away. And instead of being a freedom fighter, they became a slave owner who locked the people in and wanted to throw away that key. If anyone was to know what to look for in the Messiah, it would be them. The lawyers would know because they know the Scriptures so well. But they couldn't recognize him. They couldn't see him. If anybody had influence to lead the people to Jesus, it would have been people like the lawyers, like these religious leaders. But they didn't. And ignored that it's all about Jesus. That Jesus is the key. If you ever get confused about what you're reading in the Bible, 
look back to Jesus and a lot of it can be answered. Right? If you're reading the Old Testament, you're like confused. Like, what does that mean? If you look to Jesus, like in Isaiah, if you look at it in the eyes of with Jesus in there, a lot of the questions you have will be answered. And have you ever hear people, heard people say that, you know, the Bible's just too complicated for, for the common person, and, and, and so the common person, they can't comprehend this stuff. That's the type of thing that the lawyer said. Right? That, that they, they, became, they became this self-proclaimed expert who also claimed to have the, the key to the relationship with God, but, but they couldn't even recognize God in the flesh before their eyes. Right? That incarnate God, they couldn't even recognize Him. How complicated have we made our relationship with God? Right? These lawyers had so many rules about everything and, and they made things so complicated when, when I think our relationship with God is, is quite simple. It's, it's a relationship with God. It's not a laundry list of do's and don'ts. and It's about a relationship with, with God that is through grace by faith, not what we can do on our own. And when you think about relationships, like with your spouse or your children or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your friends and stuff, is it really that complicated? Right? You just kind of hang out and you kind of enjoy yourselves and you, you get to know each other and you find out your hurts and all this stuff and you minister to each other and serve each other. It's not all that complicated. And if it's not a good thing and if it's an abusive thing, then you kind of step out of that, right? So it wasn't that the lawyers just kept themselves from entering the kingdom of God. They misled many others as well. So people who were counting on them to recognize when the Messiah would show up, they didn't do their job. They didn't do that right. So, so, so you see why Jesus was so hard on these guys. Three woes to the Pharisees, three woes to the lawyers, and it all started how? Because a Pharisee invited Jesus to come over to dine with him in verse 37. What a great guest Jesus is. Come on to eat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, man, come on. And how did that all start out? Verse 38. Just a simple ceremonial hand washing that Jesus chose not to do. And he saw this as an opportunity. I need to address this. This is totally misrepresenting me and my father. And Jesus came out with a six-shooter, three for the Pharisees, three for the lawyers. He just let them have it. And some may be wondering, some of you may be wondering, is Jesus overreacting here? I mean, all he, he invited him over to eat and, and just asked him to wash his hands. Come on, Jesus, you're overreacting. Like, what's all this about? Was he? I don't think so, because these guys were misleading a lot of people away from Jesus. They were leading them from the kingdom of God. And when they were in this position of influence to direct people to God, they were directing them away. So it was like, no way, man. I'm not, I'm not having this. Like, I'm going to take you guys all down. I'm going to let you have it. Verses 53 and 54. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Nothing different from the uh, religious leaders who killed and persecuted the people of God who came before Jesus. Happened throughout the Old Testament. Same thing, same pattern. And rather than leading people to God, leading them astray. 
causing a lot of people just to leave their faith entirely because who wants to be part of that type of nonsense? So these lawyers had burdened the people with legalism and they didn't help them with it. They hardened their hearts towards Jesus and just continued in their ways just as their fathers did before them, not looking to correct anything, not looking to repent. They just threw away the key of the knowledge to mislead people. Much of the same thing happens today with our churches, with religious leaders, right? Religious leaders, churches who have the potential to influence others to Jesus but what have many people, have, what have they done? What have a lot of the churches done? Make it more burdensome for people? Have a laundry list of do's and don't do's? Not help them in knowing Jesus, that Jesus is full of grace and forgiveness and redemption and healing? And many have burdened their hearts and, and, or hardened their hearts and just, they've just continued to go on their way like those before them in their denomination or in their church movements or in their whatever. They're just kind of following the same pattern, doing the same thing. Not stopping that bad cycle of religion. And just kind of following along. It was my parents' faith. That's my grandfather. That's how they thought. That's how I think. I'm not going to change anything about that. And so many have thrown away the key. Claiming to follow Jesus when Jesus doesn't even have to be part of what they believe because they could just believe anything. They could just believe in an institution of church or an organization of church. You don't even need Jesus to run a church. Right? There are a lot of churches out there that don't need Jesus to run a church. You're just running it as a business. Running it as a non-profit organization. You're just running it without any spirituality at all. And so many are led away from God by religious leaders, by churches. And as a religious leader, this is a serious warning to me, as it is to probably many of you who hold positions of spiritual leadership in your homes, in your schools, in your communities, in your workplaces, all these different uh, type of environments that you find yourselves in, because many of us have people who are influenced by us. So let's take heed to what the Bible teaches and may we follow Jesus well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your rebuke. At least I'm speaking for myself personally and on behalf of church leadership and our church. We pray, Lord, that with your rebuke, that with your correction, that we do not stiffen our necks. Because we do not desire to be broken beyond repair. God, for people who we've influenced in the wrong way, I would love it if uh, you would open up opportunities for us to reconcile, for us to uh, issue an apology to ask for forgiveness. God, help us to represent you well, to represent the kingdom well, to flash your key and that we're not some exclusive club within our community, but we are here to love people here. In Jesus' name, amen.